the tailgate tour. I'm Dave Richmond. It's great to be here on Labor Day weekend to talk college football. We don't have the Pirates playing, but we do have other great teams. And Bubba, we've got a, one of our favorites coming back on, one of our friends from a couple years ago starting with us. Yeah, Dave, starting things off this morning, um, one of the games is actually taking place on Monday night. Uh, they'll have the stage to themselves, um, BYU traveling to Annapolis to take on the midshipmen. And right now we're joined by Pete Medhurst, a play-by-play voice of Navy. Uh, we have a full hour, uh, hour plus uh, planned, so we'll actually get the alternate perspective of BYU 24-7 uh, Garrett McClintock here in just a few minutes. But uh, welcome into the show, Pete. Great to be with you guys. Happy New Year. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, I, I tell you, I'm happy, Pete, because uh, um, thank you for coming on. I want to see how you're doing personally with all the COVID stuff, being that you're an announcer and everything. Um, with a lot of what we have, some of our friends that are, I know that you have, obviously, the voice of uh, voice of Navy. We have a lot of friends that are uh, certainly um, that they're just doing things contract. They don't have a contract. In other words, freelancers, um, they're having to deal with that. Plus with all the stuff with uh, family and friends wearing a mask. Um, I'm just the point I'm bringing up is I'm just happy that we're here today, not only talking to you, but we've been talking to a lot of people when there wasn't football and lo and behold, here we are Labor Day weekend and we have football games. So I'm tickled to death to, to see you and to know that we're going to be talking about a football game for Labor Day night. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I mean, you know, fortunate uh, that I work for a great radio station in D.C. at 106.7 The Fan yeah. and, uh, you know, been able to work from home, uh, obviously. And that's been, you know, want to thank the folks at Comrex for making uh, unbelievable equipment yes. that we can, you know, we can do that now. Uh, makes our job uh, a whole lot easier. You know, fortunately with our family, you know, we've, we've been – you know, pretty good. I got uh, two sons that are college basketball coaches. Uh, they've managed uh, so far to uh, keep from getting it. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they haven't been able to go out on the road recruiting and it's presented a, a lot yeah. of challenges uh, for them. And, you know, my 12-year-old daughter plays travel softball. We've been back at that and I umpire that. Uh, I've been umpiring SA softball now for a few years and we've been back at that since June and, you know, knock on wood so far, uh, so good uh, in that regard. And, you know, like you guys, I'm just, you know, super excited that, you know, we've got college football. The fact that Central Arkansas played last week and played again this week and didn't have to step away or anything like that. Keep your fingers crossed. We might eventually be able to get this season not only going, but maybe even complete the thing as well. No question about it. It's great to, uh, to think about that. And the one thing that comes to mind, and I'm going to bring it up, um, Kevin Warren and everybody at the Big Ten, of course, Larry Scott of the Pac-12. Um, you know, it's uh, I understand where they're coming from because it's obviously someone that works. Uh, I work in my day job in the healthcare industry, so I know the ramifications. I know how serious. I was telling you beforehand that we had a report on Thursday. Greenville is one of the top ten outbreaks uh, because of what happened with the ECU situation. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, like 1,400 new cases or something like that. So it's cra crazy numbers. Um, but at the same time, we want, you know, to play college football season if we can do it safely. That's what we say. And uh, all of us on this podcast, we have a lot of viewers, listeners, people on the street always asking me every day. I'm tired of hearing Pete the question, are we going to play? I have coworkers every single day. I'm passing them in the hall. I'm going to break or I'm taking someone to – an area of the hospital, they go, 
are we going to play college football? And I'm like, I'm not the czar. I'm not the commissioner. I really don't know. <laughs> I, I hope so. But um, how do you feel about things? Are you feeling more confident today knowing that your team is going to be playing Monday night? And we were worried about this scenario of where we would be teased, where it would be like Wednesday or Thursday of this week. This is a couple of weeks ago. We're thinking about how sad would it be that you get almost to the party and then a couple of days before you go to the party, you find out, oh, yeah, we can't have that party, meaning we can't have the start of really college football season. Navy probably creates its own bubble. I mean, 4,400 students on campus uh, probably creates a bubble atmosphere uh, of its own. And obviously the players have uh, talked about it. We've talked about it with the captains and, and other players uh, in media interviews over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they understand the discipline that it's going to take uh, to pull this off on their end. Now the, the question is going to be, can the other schools that Navy is playing pull that off? Because I think, you know, BYU, again, you know, that's, that's an environment, uh, you know, very unique out there. And I think uh, you've got a lot of mature young men. You've got some that are married. You've got uh, guys that I think understand it. Uh, and they're probably going to be able to pull it off. But like you've talked about, you know, the, the situation down there, uh, in the Greenville area, what's going to happen the first time Navy goes on the road? I mean, Navy's sl slated to play at Tulane uh, coming up on September the 19th. What happens when you go on the road and then come back? I mean, those are all things that, you know, in this environment, um, we'll just have to play out and, and we'll see, you know, where it goes. And you've got to trust the testing. I mean, we saw the Nationals up here go through it with Juan Soto. He missed the first part of the season because um, he was literally testing Positive one day, negative the next day. Positive one day, negative the next day. So you knew it was false positives, but you couldn't risk playing him right. and bringing him into the environment because you just didn't know. It could have been false negatives too. So, um, you know, we're still in a very, you know, very sensitive situation uh, as it pertains uh, to the trust of the testing. And, you know, right now, that's, that's basically what you're going to have to go by. If you, if you test well coming back uh, from a road game, then maybe things are okay. Now, Pete, uh, there at the Naval Academy, uh, you referenced the unique atmosphere, and obviously uh, you guys, uh, Army and Air Force, are the ones that uh, really are dealing with this. But uh, give us the Cliff Notes version of uh, the last five months in terms of what Coach Kenny Montalolo and his staff have been dealing with in terms of all the COVID-19 protocols and what they've been able to do or not able to do um, compared to a normal college or university. I mean, basically, they practiced. They did a lot of their conditioning, wearing masks every day, and they weren't taking any chances. So, I mean, obviously, like many people, they didn't have spring football in the traditional form like uh, everybody else. Uh, a lot of the uh, all the kids went home. They were having Zoom. They were having. They finished the spring semester. Give you an idea of what our kids go through. You know, we got some kids from Hawaii. I mean, we obviously crisscross. Uh, you know, we have twenty-seven states represented on our football roster, and some are in Hawaii. Well, if you have a class that starts at 9 o'clock Eastern time, that means you've got to be on the Zoom or the Google Meet at 3 a.m. Hawaii time to meet your class time. And we had young men uh, and young women uh, across the academy that were doing that. And, you know, that's what was going on uh, in the early days of this. And, you know, of late, you know, practice has been practice. And they've simply uh, got to find a way to uh, – you know, at the end of each practice, you know, everybody's got to be sanitized and using the hand sanitizer during practice because of how everybody 
you know, touches the football, puts a lot of onus on Greg Morgenthaler, our equipment manager and his staff. I mean, that's a lot of extra work that they have to do uh, as well. And, you know, I think those are going to be the unsung heroes that we don't really think about in this college football season is the equipment folks who are going to have to do three or four times as much work uh, as they've ever had to do right now. As far as the football game, what are your expectations for Monday night in Annapolis? I mean, I expect I expect it to look like Navy versus BYU. I, I trust both coaching staffs to have their players ready. Uh, Kenny Amatololo has never gone into a game not prepared uh, with the right. mids. And, you know, the question for us is going to be Dalen Morris. Obviously, he's taking over for Malcolm Perry, uh, a record-setting offense from a year ago. But this is a young man that allows us to break tendencies. Um, you know, we can throw one first down. And this is a young man, I'll never forget when Ivan Jasper and I were watching his recruiting tape. Um, you know, this is a young man that can sling it 70 yards right on a line. So wow. uh, we've got the we have the best depth at wide receiver we've ever had uh, in the program. So not that we're going to throw it 10, 15 times a game. We're still going to run it down your throat uh, as the, the initial game plan. But now we have a quarterback that can uh, give us the opportunity to make big plays down the field, take advantage of Michael Cooper, Ryan Mitchell, Mark Walker, uh, some terrific wide receivers for us. No question about it. And that's uh, that's interesting to hear that because that can really uh, keep the defense honest, can it? You not only do you have to worry about uh, that option, but now you got to worry about uh, now that uh, the guy's got a cannon, like he's got an arm, he can make one of those X plays. He can make one of those plays that can – some of the games that might be really tight, all of a sudden they're, they're expecting the option and he puts a bomb down the field and game over. Yeah, I mean, we were number one in the country in plays of 50 yards or more last year with 10. Most of those, of course, are on the ground. I wouldn't be surprised if we stuck a couple of those uh, in the air this season. Our defense comes back second year under Brian Newberry. Uh, those guys are super excited to play for him and expand the package defensively uh, this year. Our secondary is as good as it's ever been. We've got an NFL player at linebacker in Diego Fago. So we've got a big, you know, Mike Flowers has big shoes to fill up front for Jackson Pittman, who's one of the best nose guards in the nation. Uh, last year but you know we're going up against a foe that's going to test us right away I mean uh, you know Wilson the quarterback for BYU a uh, terrific player a guy that can really he's he's like a poor man's Malcolm in a way third and nine you think you've got him you know in the pocket and you're going to get off the field and all of a sudden he escapes extends the play makes a big play down the field or scrambles for 10 yards to keep the drive going the thing that hurts BYU clearly Matt Bushman uh, maybe their best playmaker on offense NFL tight end uh, you know blew out his Achilles uh, just over a week ago. And you hate to see that because oh. we, we love to compete against the best and we hate to see people get hurt. But Matt Bushman's at a bona fide, was going to be a bona fide star tight end in the NFL. And the Cougars will be missing him coming in. But the mids certainly can't, you know, uh, breathe a sigh of relief because they've got uh, a, a lot more weapons and a big offensive line. And I think they will also uh, try to be physical and run it down our throats. There's no question. And no doubt. Go ahead, Ms. Bob. I'm sorry. Pete, you talk about the um, the unique attack of of the Naval Academy with with that triple option, and that's something that is well documented how tough that is to prepare for. Um, so much so that, that teams prepare for it uh, early in camp when they're not playing Navy. They prepare for it in spring ball. So just talk about with the variables that we're dealing with this year, um, as far as practice time getting interrupted, and then also guys being out where you may have to play a guy that's second or third on the depth chart typically. Um, and try and 
to uh, have have those individuals get off cut blocks and everything that uh, that is required to uh, defeat Navy. Well, we've got two of the best offensive linemen in the American coming back uh, in, in Peter Nesterwitz and Billy Honaker. Honaker is one of our tri captains. Justin Self uh, at center got some time last year. I mean, what better way to be an understudy uh, than to Ford Higgins, who was as good a center uh, as we've ever had. Look, I mean, we've got a couple of guys that are going to step in and play significant snaps for the first time. We'll see how they adapt. But, I mean, look, at our skill positions, we're fine. I mean, Jamal Carruthers and Nelson Smith is as good a B-back tandem as we've ever had at the, the fullback spot. A-backs, Chance Warren, who was terrific for us at wide receiver, uh, scored running, throwing, receiving uh, last year. I mean, he did it all uh, for us. He's switching to slot backs, and we can take advantage of his great athletic skill. So you, you pair him now with Miles Fells, C.J. Williams, uh, Carlinos AC. I mean, you know, we, we, we can t- our, our, our coaches are unbelievable uh, in recruiting. They go out and they find skilled people. You know, the question is going to be, I mean, look, we play in a tough league. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time. That, that's the beauty of the American. We play in a tough league. So if you're not going to play Notre Dame in the opener, go find somebody else of a national caliber that's going to test you to make you ready for American Athletic Conference play. BYU is good an opponent. Uh, that was sitting out there. It's credit to Chet Gladchuk and BYU AD Tom Homo uh, to be able to get that game put together quickly, ESPN coming to the table to televise it. But what better way to prep uh, for your tough AAC schedule uh, by playing a, an opponent the caliber uh, of BYU? I mean, that's why we joined the American. We joined the American to play in a great league, have a great schedule, um, and, and compete for a conference championship. I mean, that, that's why we joined the league uh, in the first place. We've recruited uh, to try and compete against these teams. And right now, since joining the league, the Mids have the third best record overall, 27-13 and 13, uh, since joining the league. Only Temple and Memphis uh, have been a couple of wins better. And, Pete, the very fact that uh, I was going to ask you about, as far as the league is concerned, uh, I know you and I were talking about beforehand, um, what, you were talking about a great league, but uh, you guys uh, with Navy – you got. I think you guys are uh, have a good shot to compete for a championship. I don't. I mean, I don't really know. Obviously, with the way things are going to go this season, it's hard to really know. Yeah, that team is definitely the one that's going to win because of all the off the field issues that could affect it. Uh, but how how do you feel about uh, the middies as far as winning the championship? I mean, I think we. I mean, look, I think we've got as good a shot because you've got a lot of seniors, got a lot of people coming back um, to play, uh, especially on the defensive side. But, you know, when you when you look at the league, I mean, look at the quarterbacks in our league. I mean, it's it's just it's you know, you're talking six, seven uh, teams deep uh, with, with quality quarterback play uh, in this league. I mean, your guy down there, Holton Aylers, put up a 500 yard game uh, last year. I mean, that's a young man. I think it's just going to get better and better. And I said it when East Carolina hired Mike, you know, it was going to take him some time to get the depth that he needed to play against these teams. But I mean, what better guy to start things with uh, than a quarterback that can go out any Saturday uh, and make explosive plays uh, the way Holt Naylor's can. ECU is not going to be a picnic this year uh, for anybody to play. Tulane under Willie Fritz has been fantastic. No one has played as consistently better defensively than Tulane has. They've been outstanding. Their defensive linemen have been ridiculous against us. Uh, through the years. So, and, and that's not even talking about the teams that everybody thinks uh, at, at the top of the league. Look, everybody knows you know, Desmond Ritter is going to be healthy for Cincinnati this year. I think it's going to make them better overall. Luke Fickle took over a bad cupboard. He quickly cleaned that out, and he's had two 11-win seasons uh, since then. Memphis not having Kenneth Gainwell, it hurts, but they've still got Demonte Coxie, you know, 
you know, white at quarterback. I mean, they've still got weapons. They find skilled people. Ryan Silverfield takes over there for Mike Norvell. He's not coming in from the outside. He was there on the inside. So I don't expect any drop-off uh, from Memphis. You know, Central Florida is just oozing with athletes uh, all over the place. SMU's got Shane Bouchelle back. I mean, we can go on and on about every team in the league. I mean, you can make a case almost for everybody, but you know, certainly at the top, the top of this league has consistently proven itself. Go ask Mississippi what they think about playing against Memphis. It's been no picnic for them, uh, and they're right down the road in the powerful uh, SEC. So, you know, our league continues to prove itself outside the league, and obviously the games we've had inside the league continue to bring um, good football to the table. People want to keep televising us. And, uh, you know, I mean, you look at our, our quote, G5 league compared to everybody else, and, um, you know, top to bottom, it's just not even close. Speaking of televising, Pete, um, this is a game that was, of course, uh, added to the schedule uh, very late in the game. But um, Reese Davis and the ESPN crew on Kirk Herb Street will be at Navy Marine Corps Stadium on Monday night. So just talk about this opportunity for the for Coach Ken's ball club to have such tr tremendous exposure on a national scale. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our, our games with Notre Dame are on national TV. They're on NBC or CBS in the past. Uh, Army Navy is on CBS in front of millions of people uh, each and every season. All of our home games are on CBS Sports Network, and, and obviously the American package is on ESPN. So, look, I mean, we, we, we cherish each opportunity we have to, uh, to put our football product on TV and show the Naval Academy and show, uh, you know, the college football world what our school and what our football team uh, is all about. So the bright lights, and, and literally they will be bright because it's a night game, the bright lights aren't going to bother either Navy or BYU. They have been this, um, they've been in this perspective uh, and under these lights uh, for a long time. Uh, I think both teams are going to be excited about it. But again, as I said, it's a great opportunity for the Naval Academy to showcase itself and for the American Athletic Conference, again, to showcase itself against a nationally known opponent, um, just the kind of work uh, that they've done here. Uh, through the years, and it'll be another great opportunity with uh, Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, and Allison Williams in the house coming up on uh, Monday night. And BYU is uh, one of those teams we were talking about with a national flavor. I mean, they brought a ton of fans uh, to Dowdy Ficklin just a few years ago, and uh, definitely would love. I mean, if the if the situation was right, we were talking about this pre pre show uh, to have them part. Maybe one day, uh, Pete, they will be a conference game and not a non conference game. But that's a whole other. <laughs> I know another show to speak. Uh, by the way, I want to mention to you another kid to watch out for since you're uh, the play-by-play -play voice. Uh, give you a little scoop here. Mason Garcia is a kid. I don't know if you've heard of him. He is actually um, he's actually a first-year kid uh, out of um, the Myrtle Beach area. Great quarterback for East Carolina and uh, six foot four. He's a, a specimen. A great arm. I know there's a lot of kids that have great arms for. D1, but he's really special. If he keeps his grades good and stays out of trouble, obviously, like a lot of the kids right now, right now dealing with COVID, but um, he's one that's uh, really, really special. So we'll um, keep an eye on him after Holton will be a senior next year in 21. So just keep an eye out for Mason Garcia. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look, and that's what I said about Mike taking over. And Eventually, he's going to rebuild the depth there that they need to be a consistent. I mean, look, he came into the, he came into the American basically, you know, with a with a half loaded gun against guys running around with you know loaded cannons. Uh, so 
he's quickly reloading there. And, you know, the guy's track record speaks for itself. And we know East Carolina's played plenty of great football before. And it's not going to take Mike, I think, very long uh, to get them back into significant contention in this league. Like I said, I don't think they're going to be any kind of a picnic for anybody uh, to play this year. So, you know, again, you better – we say it all the time, just like two years ago when Navy had the down season. You, you better get, get Navy while they were down then because they're not going to stay down long. They rebounded and had an 11-win season. Right now, you better get East Carolina while they're down because they're not going to be down uh, very long uh, under Mike's leadership there. And uh, I just think that's going to make our league even that much stronger. Think about this. East Carolina and South Florida are the teams we're talking about at the bottom of our league in 10th and 11th right now in most of the polls. And both of those uh, programs have winning traditions uh, that you can speak about, uh, you know, with, with good winning football, um, you know, in their cupboards. No doubt about it. Pete, uh, it's going to be very exciting on Monday night. I uh, can't believe uh, it's here, college football, uh, really the opening weekend. I'm, I'm happy that we're here and to the party, and hopefully that uh, we'll see if you have a, a celebration on a Monday night uh, for sure. Just the fact that we get a kickoff will be celebration uh, <laughs> enough. Quite frankly, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm excited to watch Army and Middle Tennessee uh, coming up here uh, in a little while. Just, I, I just, I love the sport and, you know, I love the kids that play it. Uh, many of them, as we know, this will be the last time they put on uh, their football uniforms. A lot of them don't play football beyond this spot. And uh, I just love the atmosphere of what college football represents. Love coming down to your place, missing it badly, uh, missing my trip to Sup Dogs that I always make uh, down there to see yeah, my good friend Brett go. Oliverio. You know, he worked with us at my radio station for an awful long time. Oh, wow. And, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, he, he was producer of the number one rated uh, morning show uh, in D.C. for a long time before, wow. he, you know, he took took over upon his brother's passing. And, um, you know, they, they do a great job there. And I know really? they're, you know, big, big thing there in Greenville and also they're one in Chapel Hill. But, you know, I, I, that's the thing I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss coming down and being part of that atmosphere because that's something that we enjoy uh, from from the the PA guy going arg pirates, you know, I mean all that stuff. That's what you. That's what we're missing right now. We're gonna miss this year in a lot of these environments. But at least these kids are gonna get a chance to go out and play uh, a few more games and look for the seniors and the juniors who've been in the programs three years. I mean, this is opportunity to put some tape out there, um, you know, for the 2021 NFL draft. So a uh, lot of things, a lot of positives, and uh, hopefully. Uh, this Saturday goes as well as last Saturday's Austin Peay Central Arkansas game, and we can keep playing uh, on a weekly basis. No doubt about it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully we can have you back on midseason or certainly for uh, the Army-Navy game. You got it. Glad to come on anytime with you guys. Always appreciate the conversation. No doubt about it, Pete. Appreciate you, and look forward to Monday night. All right, that's Pete Medhurst, the voice of the Navy midshipman. And uh, Bubba, there you are. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Um, what's more appropriate than doing a uh, college football preview show from a baseball stadium? <laughs> the Cannonball. I tell you what, that that stadium is gorgeous. I was there. What was it? Late May, um, but yeah, uh, Indianapolis. I think it was late May, and um, the center field has uh, saw people. I was not at the bar, but I was sitting near the bar waiting for, uh, waiting for Bubba, uh, so I could hang out with some of them there and check out the ballpark, and we walk around there. Uh, at Canapolis, a great stadium. Uh, the Cannonballers love it, and uh, I can't wait for them to be able to play. 
Bubba, I know there's a guy that's uh, can't wait for BYU to play, right? Yeah, we just got the Navy perspective, of course, with Pete Medhurst, um, the play-by-play voice of the midshipmen. Now we're going to get the BYU perspective on Monday night's game. I'm very excited to be rejoined by Garrett McClintock. Um, Garrett joined us here a few weeks back. Uh, Garrett, welcome back into the program. It's good to be here. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Uh, glad to have you on. And we were hoping that we could have a game with uh, with you guys. But, uh, you know, I, we were just talking with Pete. It would be great to see BYU to be a conference mate. Uh, we're not going to push you guys into that. Obviously, I understand your deal. Um, but certainly, we love BYU and uh, and uh, glad to have you on. And glad to have, a, frankly, glad to have a college football season. I didn't think we would get to this part. You know, I, I was more confident back in the summertime. And the last couple of weeks has been uh, where we kind of bummed in the Greenville area. Yeah, it's I'm kind of surprised we got here too. I was a little iffy on whether it would happen. And there's some days it seemed like it was full steam ahead and then others I was 100% sure that everything was going to get called off. But you know, we're here, there's games today. We'll see if we, I think part of the reason that the ECU game didn't happen is because of kind of the unsurety and needing, you know, you've already seen your first game pushed back, right? And then we've already seen like the TCU SMU game has gotten canceled. And so I think a lot of it is, you know, our athletic directors kind of waiting and seeing like, I think from the, the American side, don't want to fill up all those buy gaps in case you need to reslot a conference game because of a breakout or, you know, and where we're at, it's, you know, we could call up a conference USA team and get another buy game, but we'd rather kind of, you know, get, take that gamble and say, okay, hopefully, you know, towards November, things are good and we can add ECU and USF to the schedule, whatever, you know, and we've if both teams, you know, if there's two teams that even two weeks before have an open game, then I think, you know, it's just a phone call away. And I think there's probably, we'll see some shuffling of non-conference games, even mid-season this year, just because 2020 is 2020. Exactly. Um, yeah, pretty cra- pretty crazy situation that you guys were in, Garrett. I'm being down to, what, three games and now back up to eight. Uh, as we were going off the air, you may have heard my question to Pete, just talking about, uh, obviously, BYU's, um, you know, accustomed to playing on a big stage. I'm not saying that, but... You know, with the, with this late edition of the Navy game, uh, Reese Davis, Kirk Street and company are going to be on hand Monday night. Uh, so an excellent, uh, excellent way to start the season uh, for the Cougars. Yeah, it really is, um, especially, you know, it's always great to be on, you know, on the mothership, on the mothership on mainline ESPN and, you know, and getting their biggest staff. You know, it's it's always fun to be. You know, it's like we play on ESPN all the time, but it's usually, you know, we never have, it's like the, it's the primetime matchup, right? Like this is the, if it wasn't for, you know, everything going on, like Reese and Kirk Herbstreit, they'd probably be calling like the Oregon Auburn game or something like that. You know, it would have been, you know, a, this is a very big deal for both programs to be the number one game um, over the course of an entire weekend. And I don't, that's never happened before. Um, I think for either team, well, I guess Army Navy is their own separate beast, but you know, during a normal week, it's, that's never happened for either team where it's been the number one, like clear cut best matchup of the entire weekend. And so it really is it's exciting. And, you know, like you said, we were cut down to, uh, you know, we had two games with an FCS game. And so that is still happening playing North Alabama. There was a lot of, you know, they're committed and they're playing four games this fall to try to bring in some money. Um, but, you know, it's kind of worked out to where in November we've got Navy this week and then a bye and then Army the following week. And so it's at least we get the option games kind of mashed up together and don't have too much of a change. But we'll see if 
you know, if, if we throw SMU onto the schedule for next week, which who knows that could happen for all we, you know, with their cancellation against TCU, then they could throw things for a loop, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we have eight games. Um, it's not obviously not ideal, but if we were, you know, in a different league, if we're still in Mount West, then we'd be making less money and have less exposure and have zero games right now. So I would rather, I would rather play eight games against, you know, a bunch, a couple of FCS school, well, an FCS school and some of the lower end of the Sunbelt and Conference USA than be sitting at home all fall. And uh, by the way, Garrett, we only have uh, we only have nine games, so we we can schedule a game with you. <laughs> okay, there we go. So I think I think with I'm fairly confident that with the American, it's just waiting to see. Okay, can we get through September and what this looks like? And right. are we going to need? Because I mean, you have some schools. I think I believe like Temple can't even practice, right? Like they. So it's there was that was a game that our fan base, a lot of people, were like, hey, it works. We've never played them before. It's a good matchup. But then you know, if you have teams that can't practice and you're going to have to reschedule conference games like the from the american perspective i understand why you need to leave those open until yeah you know i think november is where we could see some shuffling going on or at least the back half of october yeah you actually read my mind garrett as far as that smu tcu cancellation uh, the battle for the iron skillet and we have billy embody from smu's 24 7 site joining us here uh, in the next few minutes uh, following our interview with you and so we'll just Discuss that with him, and then uh, you know, um, just taking a look at things. Um, Pete Medhurst was talking about the unique environment that exists at BYU, as far as you have some older players, guys who may potentially be married. Um, probably, uh, generally speaking, um, maybe a, certainly a more controlled atmosphere, and we'll just put it that way, than a lot of college campuses. So, where has things been with the Cougars, is in terms of uh, the COVID numbers, uh, guys testing positive, and things of that nature? Um, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are. So the university has been reporting overall student numbers, um, but it's been pretty low. And so it's, you know, obviously the, you know, it in Provo, you're not going to have as big of, you know, you're, there are no fraternities, there are no sororities. You're not going to have, you know, 500 people at a house party on a Saturday night. That's going to cause a huge problem. And, you know, like you said too, with a lot of the players, <clears throat> you know, being a year or two older, maybe for their class, you know, and a lot of them being married and having, you know, I think probably close to half the roster is married. Um, and probably of those that are married, probably half of another half of them, um, you know, so maybe you're talking about like a third of the roster are, you know, fathers. And so they're not going to be going out and their life off the field is very different to where it's a lot more conducive to avoiding that spread. Um, but so I think in terms of COVID, like they're following the same protocols. I think that the AAC announced that they're, Doing obviously everyone has to wear a mask when they go on the road. Um, it's like the entire equipment staff team, everything. It's like they're a mini bubble for that weekend. Whenever they are traveling, um, players are getting tested three days a week, and so it's you know as long as you can stay ahead of it, then I think things should be very well. And it's you know the schools and programs that are committed to doing that. I think it can still be a very safe environment for the athletes. No question about it, Garrett. Uh, with the with BYU and uh, having this spin game on Monday night against Navy, uh, it's certainly a great uh, thing because uh, we were wondering with everything going on with the conferences, that, with the power leagues that have conference-only schedules and all that. It's great to see a brand-name matchup. I think you can definitely argue that both BYU and Navy deserve to be um, considered power league teams. I know that I always am biased with the American, but I think we're uh, – a power league and with you guys with uh, BYU I mean you're as we talked about last time you guys are definitely a, a brand name in college football 
Yeah, I definitely think that America has separated itself from the rest of the G4. And even if you, I, I mean, I don't think that they, you know, when the expansion, next round of expansion comes, you're not going to go back to 12. It's going to go to 14. And so I think that may, you know, even though BYU is sitting pretty with ESPN right now in our own deal, it's, you know, that may kind of force the hand a little bit. Because if you take and, you know, Boise Air Force and BYU to get to 14, then that that definitely is a power league. And there's a clear, clear separation between that league and the rest of um, things. And even if you look at the computer rankings last year, the American finished higher than the AAC when you looked at the league as a whole. And so if you can kind of make it through COVID unscathed, then, you know, and at least they're playing, whereas you have, you know, two power leagues not playing, it's a good opportunity to pick up more fans and more support and, you know, boost those TV. The TV numbers will obviously be higher this year, but see how they, maintain next year once the Big Ten and Pac-12 come back. But I think it's a great opportunity, um, you know, for obviously BYU to continue to play and for the American. And it's exciting. We haven't played um, – we've never played Army before. haven't played Navy since, like, 1980-something. I don't remember what the last date was. So it's been a long time since we've played either of those. And so it's it's always fun. It's a little – it's always fun to watch an option team uh, every once in a while just because it's so rare, but it will be an interesting and a good matchup for two good programs. Yeah, certainly not many defensive coordinators around the country that would be uh, envious of the, the challenge that uh, your defensive staff there at BYU has. No, our, our, defensive our defensive coordinator got our defensive coordinator got asked about it and said, he's like, I have no experience at all defending this. So it was not a good soundbite, but I, it's hard to blame him because there really isn't, you know, any – Unless you unless you're coaching peewee ball where you've got some seven year olds running the option, it's like you, no coordinator would have that experience unless you regularly play one of the academies. Right. Yeah. Certainly something to keep an eye on on Monday night. Uh, and one of the things I was talking with Pete Medhurst about a few minutes ago it was just, I mean, that's an extreme challenge as we're saying in in a normal year. I mean, when, when you have spring ball, when, when you have a typical fall camp where you don't have all these pauses that a lot of programs are having, but um, to, to be facing such an attack this year and yes, they're, they're potentially facing the same thing, but um, they're of course accustomed to running what they run and they've done it for so long now that they're entrenched in it. But um would definitely be interesting to see teams going against Navy, not only BYU, um, but how, how those teams defend the triple option with, uh, with all the interruptions to preparation. Yeah, and it's luckily BYU hasn't had any um, interruptions and had to, you know, do any pausing of workouts or anything like that. So we do have had, you know, we are lucky to have had that continuity, but um, the we are putting in a new defensive scheme this year and going to more of a 4-2-5 look. If you look at the depth chart for this game, they actually listed um, they listed four different linebacker positions and six different DB positions. So there's going to be a lot of different looks, and they're going with a new scheme that in, with the intent to be more aggressive and kind of you know with where recruiting has ended up and kind of the makeup of the roster right now. So the pro side of that is we could see a lot of things and have a lot of creativity that you know coming that isn't on film yet, and you know maybe other teams don't know what to expect, but the downside of it is, are we trying to maybe do too much? And if you have too many things going on, do you have too many packages that you can't really master any one of them? And it's, but really, I mean, defending the option, it's, I mean, it really comes down to just not having, not having an ego and just doing your job every play and not trying to chase anything. And so it's, it's not complicated to defend it, but it takes a lot of patience and a lot of, you know, just being committed to doing your job and not 
thinking you saw something or whatever, which is difficult in the moment. Yeah, like you're saying, assignment football, um, it's always said, and that's one of those phrases you always hear when your teams talk about defending the option. And um, it's one thing to, to know how to defend it, but being able to be physical and, you know, take on the cut blocks and all the things that you have to do to be able to defeat it. And uh, playing discipline football, it's an entirely different matter. Definitely. Uh, so, look, last question for you as we're looking at this matchup. Um, Kalani Kitaki's club a couple years ago uh, really struggled on the offensive side, but last year is definitely a step in the right direction. So just talk about this club and um, what are some of the things we should keep an eye on with the Cougars in terms of the offensive side? Yeah, from the offensive perspective, I think the biggest, so they moved the ball and actually had like the offense finished like number 26 or 27th in overall total yards per game last year, but struggled mightily in scoring and were in the hundreds in red zone in red zone you know percentage and so once once the field got short is where we struggled and so needing to open up those holes and really finishing out drives is where um, the offense needs to take a huge jump and um and that's you know that i think last year we saw the the whole off season the staff was saying we need to do better getting chunk plays and they focused on that in the off season and there was a big improvement in this so i think pushing um so pushing in and going forward with, you know, focusing on the red zone scoring is where the offense and what the offense needs to make a huge jump. Um, last this week in practice, uh, we just lost our best offensive playmaker in Matt Bushman, who is a senior tight end who was on the Mackey watch list. One of the best tight ends in the country who went down with a non-contact Achilles rupture in practice. And so that was difficult um, in, you know, luckily tight end is one of those positions that if you have a body that can create a matchup, then you can, or, you know, mismatch against a linebacker, then you can have good production there, but it always sucks when you, you know, lose someone of that caliber. And so that's really from the offense. I think it's, you know, needing to be able to run the ball effectively when the field gets short. And, you know, if we need one, we need a, well, to replace a tight end and then just need one receiver to step up and kind of take some pressure off of, off of that. Um, and then defensively going into this game, it all kind of comes down to nose tackle Kyrus Tonga, who's last year, he played at about 350. He's down to around 315, 320 and looks really well. And um, he he looks really good and is looking fit. And he's going into his senior year very hungry. And, you know, it really comes down to him. If he's going to get double teamed every play on Monday night and if he can, you know, control his gap and not chase anything. And if he can, if he can control the dive on his own, then I think we'll be in good shape. But last year against the run was something that the defense struggled majorly with. And so it's going to, it's not a great matchup if you look at last year, but hopefully with a new scheme and some patience, then uh, we can at least keep them in check. And I, I think BYU ends up winning it. The money's coming in on the Cougars. It started off as like Navy was a two and a half point favorite. And I just looked and it's down to BYU as a two point favorite. So it's a four and a half point swing is pretty large. And the total has dropped by seven points as well since the opening line. So um, I think it's going to be an, probably an ugly low scoring affair since with the weird off season and not being able to do as much as teams want to do. Um, but I think, I think BYU ends up, ends up winning it in kind of a 24, 17 or 20 to 14 type game. So I know last time we talked to you, Garrett, that you were in the Charlotte area. Are you guys moving? Is it Arizona? Have you done yeah. that yet? Uh, you know, so I'm moving uh, three weeks from today. Um, I will be oh. moving to Arizona. So I'll be, well, I guess on, Thursday, so in two and a half weeks, I'll be setting the rest of my family, and then I'll be driving out um, with most of our stuff in a couple weeks. 
Wow, that's that's impressive. And you're trying to do and you're trying to do the twenty four seven site as well. Yep, it's been it's been busy. It's a fun time, but uh, it's definitely trying to hang up. And we have a five a five week old at home as well, so it's been pretty hectic month and a half. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, I know short notice, but we want to do something special. Our new show inside the slant there with uh, with college football. Glad to just have college football. We're excited today. It's kind of like a kid at a candy store uh, to have college football and, and good luck to you guys on Monday night. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks to Gary McClintock there and uh, Bubba. And now we bring in uh, first time guest on the show. We're very excited to have on. Yeah. East Carolina, of course, was scheduled to play these guys um, last weekend. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Hopefully, it will take place at some point this season after being uh, bumped from from the September 12th date. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, certainly no stranger to the Thundering Herd uh, from WSAZ in uh, Huntington. Keith Morehouse. Keith, appreciate you joining us. How are you, Keith? Welcome into the show. Hi guys, sorry I couldn't hear Bubba for a second. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good, no doubt about it. We were hoping to have the game, obviously, uh, this past weekend with Marshall, and then it was supposed yeah, to be yeah. next weekend. We we're disappointed, obviously. Uh, we know the special tie there. Uh, looking forward to hopefully. Um, I know when uh, for twenty four seven sports horse the colors on that our, our ECU site for twenty four seven. We had uh, Stephen Igo. He put up there that. You know the game was canceled and uh, and about open dates and and coach Mike Houston said not yet. So uh, in other words, to add the game maybe in uh, I'm thinking maybe December. Um, I don't know who knows, but I didn't know you have a lot more insight on the Marshall side of things. I wanted to ask you that before we talk about your game. But what do you think about uh, would that be a game that we could move to December or how is the Marshall schedule stacking up that we could do that? Well, guys, I think that's probably the um, the only way is uh, because it would be the conference championship weekend. And if Marshall and East Carolina aren't in the conference championship, that maybe that first weekend in December is the only alternative. Uh, I know Mike Hamrick wants to play it, and, and I know that East Carolina wants to play it as well. It's been in the works for a while. It was going to be, you know, week zero, August 29th. It was going to be, you know, nationally televised. And, and the significance of it, I think we all know, in that 50 years ago they played – uh, the night that Marshall's plane crashed. And so they want to get that game in for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, with the schedule and COVID and all the things that the hoops that the ADs have to jump through, it, it may not happen. But but I think they're holding on to that possibility that it could be, you know, an early December date if if neither team is in its conference championship. No question about it. And it's a very special game. And I know that uh, that's going to be one that we're going to keep our fingers crossed. We only have nine games now, so we're praying that we can get that. Uh, Keith, I don't know if you know, but uh, I read an article, a national article a couple of days ago. I was saying in the beginning of the show with uh, Pete Methurst of Navy that the very fact that Greenville, when East Carolina came back in with the students, we had a huge outbreak and it mm -hmm. forced us into the top 10 as far as outbreaks in the country. So that's what I'm concerned about now is praying that we have no fans on September 26th against UCF. That was uh, announced in the last few days. So now we're at a point where uh, we're praying we can get that game in. And then, you know, that's the thing that is tough as you play a, a top 25 team. Literally, uh, that's your first game. And they're going to have a – looks like they have a game against uh, – that would be against Georgia Tech in a couple weeks to open up the season for them. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I feel bad for all these ADs that have to do this. I mean, it's it's really, really difficult. And, um, you know, you want to get your games in. You want to keep kids safe and healthy. And it's just a shame it happened this year for Marshall and ECU just because of the significance of the year. Um, but, you know, you have to you have to do the right thing for your program, and, and that's keeping people healthy and making sure they're safe. And so if they – I really wanted to play it for a lot of sentimental reasons, you know, and, and they were going to have, you know, uh, a gathering of families that lost people that, that night in the crash down there and some special things were going to go on. And East Carolina has always been um, – you know, so great at, at remembering and honoring that uh, that tragedy and the people we lost. So, uh, if it can happen, it'd be great. And I, I I'm not. I, I think that we won't. They won't stop trying until there's just no alternative. So hopefully, you know, they can look down the road and get that thing going. No question about it. In fact, uh, Bubba and I, Bubba, you know, you and I were when Bubba came a part of the podcast in July a couple of years ago. Keith, one of the first things he and I talked about is I told him I said, "Hey, I'm leaving work one night," and I said, "Hey," and then one day I said, "We've got to do something special for Marshall because in two years when we do this podcast, um, it's going to be the 50th anniversary. Something that I know that's uh, very important to me because I think because of that relationship we have, I think the fact that or regional opponent. And then I was going to tell you, Keith, that I don't know how the Marshall kids feel, but our kids, uh, the guys have graduated, told us outside of NC State, Marshall is probably their favorite game as far as a, a rivalry. And I was surprised, that, not surprised as far as how important that Marshall game is, but just surprised of how big it is to them. And they weren't anywhere around 1970. Yeah, you know, I've always told people when Marshall got into conference, you were saying, I've, I've been down to Greenville several times for games. Um, I've, I've always said to me, it, it, it's the biggest um, atmosphere in the league when they were in Conference USA. I thought it had an SEC kind of feel to it, and it always felt like that when Marshall and ECU got together. And, and uh, you know, even when they came up to Huntington, I remember, you know, Marshall actually played one of its better games against ECU and beat them when they had Chris Johnson. And I, I just – there's a feeling about the atmosphere down there that's unlike anything else that Conference USA had at that time. And so for, for just those sentimental and historic reasons, it's a great game. But, yeah, just on a competitive level, it's, it's, it just has a different feel. And, and really, to be honest, guys, to know that that's the very same field where that team played in 1970. I've been in that press box, and, of course, it's been renovated, and it's a beautiful stadium. But to be in the very same, you know, same footprint as, as the old stadium where that team played is really a surreal experience. And so I, I don't think any Marshall fan takes it for granted, and I certainly don't. Um, so if there's any way to make that game happen, and Mike Hamrick, Marshall's athletics director, told me uh, earlier this year, he said, if we play one game this year, I'd like it to be East Carolina. So the, the emphasis on that up here is a big deal. And, and uh, so hopefully maybe they can come together and make it happen somehow. And we know him very well being the director of athletics from 96 to 2004. Do you, is it special for him, too, to be a former athletic director at one school? And now it's your alma mater that's your athletic director of as well that you're playing and then on the significance of 1970 i mean that uh, with the plane crash you just uh i know uh mike very well i knew him at that time pretty well um i i was 23 at the time when he started uh, as a young broadcaster and uh, he was really funny i was telling stories he used to i don't know if you know this keith uh, mike hamrick is one of the only athletic directors we've ever had um, he did not only a show um, because Dave Hart, the previous act, the athletic director in the early 90s for us, did.
but Mike used to do a show every Wednesday night on our flagship station. And he would actually take calls and people would ask back then about the baseball stadium didn't have lights that worked very well and different things like, I mean, down to the minutia, he would take, he was very, I will, I'll give him credit. He took a lot of heat on certain st stuff and uh, he wasn't afraid to come on every Wednesday night and, and talk to the fans. That was really cool. Yeah, Dave, he does that up here too. He's very accessible. And, um, you know, if you have a question, he doesn't duck any questions and he's, he's really open and honest with fans and, and, um, so that, that part of it um, is, is important, you know, when you're on our business. But, you know, Mike, uh, obviously Mike was down there and, and Mike was a part of the Thundering Herd. He played for Marshall uh, three or four years after the crash. And so he was on that part of that foundation that they had to build back up to get that program going. So he has a, a definite affinity for, for both programs. And uh, I remember talking to Mike back when Marshall played ECU in the GMAC Bowl when David Garrard and Byron left, which were the quarterbacks. You guys may remember that one, 64-61 and double overtime. And it was 38-8 to at halftime. But uh, Mike was real receptive back then to the, that game. And, and um, you, you just, you, it's one of those things, guys, you don't even have to mention the significance for East Carolina because up here it's it's embedded in, in Marshall's football past. And so anytime those two can get together, I think it's a significant game. And uh, yeah, Mike. Mike has a real fond spot in his heart for Greenville and East Carolina, and of course uh, now Marshall is alma mater. So yeah, it's it's a, there are a lot of ties there that that bind, and um, you know I, I hope for that sake we get to play it at some point. Keith, can you hear me? Okay. Uh -huh. All right. It's one of the the beauties of broadcasting from a public venue here. They have the the music cranked up here at the local minor league ballpark this morning, the new Canapolis Cannonballer Stadium. But uh, just wanted to make sure before I went ahead with my question. Um, but, you know, taking a taking a look at the, the Thunder and Herd, and the, I wanted to kind of elaborate on what you and Dave were discussing. Um, so many guys that we've had on on our 50 Pirates and 50 Days series from Pirates from a variety of areas, they're just talking about um, how special those East Carolina Marshall matchups were. And uh, – they, they said it was right there with Southern Miss. Wow. So. Yeah, yeah, Bubba, it's it's uh, uh like I said, it's it's just got a cool feel to it. And um, the the times that I was down there, yeah, I was down there the year that, that they uh, were releasing the movie, and they had dedicated that plaque in the stadium, which I just thought was a, a fantastic gesture by East Carolina, and um, you know, just to to show that that sympathy and. Um, to always have that game and that, uh, you know, I was, you know, just to, just to be on that field where those guys walked and um, whether they play it or not, I think I told you, Bob, I'm coming down. I'm working on a, a, a 50th anniversary piece for a t TV station uh, in November, uh, an hour special on just the, you know, the significance of the anniversary. And so I'm coming down and, and I'm going to be there anyway. So I, I hope to, you know, see some of Greenville's best and talk to some of the players who were in the game and do some things down there that, um, you know, commemorate the game and where Marshall was. And uh, again, just a special bond and you can't, uh, it's just there. It always will be. It's been memorialized in that movie. And of course it's been memorialized in print and everywhere else. So uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the relationship between Greenville and Huntington is, is pretty stout and I hope it goes on forever. I think it will. And Keith, I was going to tell you that, uh, when we had the Skip Holtz and we finally made it back to a bowl game, the Papa John's Top Com Bowl, where they didn't have any pizza, but uh, and I'm still sore about that. But anyway, <laughs> we had we were not prepared for a tailgate like we wanted because we both said, yeah, they'll have pizza down there. But anyway, the, Birmingham was an amazing city, loved it. The night before the game, 
my buddy and I, before the bowl game, we went to see We Are Marshall, and oh my gosh, what a! I still I own that movie, DVD, Blu-ray. I mean, I don't have obviously VHS, but I have a, a different format, so the movie and on digital. Um, I love that movie so much, and uh, we wanted to come up to Huntington ourselves to do a special with you. Hopefully, we can do something there with you, but definitely. I agree. Well, I don't know if COVID we can or not. I hope we can um, drive up there even for, for a day or something. But uh, it's something very special to us. And I know that with uh, Bubba, we're trying to do everything I can. It's kind of like herding, uh, herding cats with uh, having full time jobs. We're dads. We're we got a lot going on. Yeah, it, it would be great if you guys did. I, you know, I don't even know. You know, every year they do the memorial um, on November 14th. That happens to be a game day. Marshall's supposed to play Middle Tennessee that day at noon. So if the game goes on, that memorial will be held in the morning. And so that's oh, normally man. an afternoon ceremony. But if you get a chance to see it, it's very uh, it's very poignant. And they do it really – it's really well done. And, um, and uh, yeah, we could definitely show you around and, and show you some of the sites and take you on a little tour of campus. But uh, this COVID thing's got everybody all, you know, all out of whack. But, I, you know, regardless, I tell people, regardless of whether there's a game or not, there's going to be a ceremony. There's going to be the 50th anniversary. And that relationship between these two schools is is, uh, is a tight one. So, uh, yeah, when, if you can make it up there, up here, that'd be that'd be great, guys. I would definitely uh, welcome you. We can make sure that you got everything you need up here. Hey, Bubba, you want to do a road trip? I'm always down for a road trip, Dave. Um, but okay. earlier, you guys were uh, talking about Mike Hamrick. Um, what a tremendous job he's done of salvaging the schedule. He had a tremendous schedule in place. I'm um, taking on the likes of Boise State and Pittsburgh. Uh, I think what at least one, if not both of those, were coming to Edwards Stadium, mm-hmm. and then you also uh, you, now um, to be able to get a revive a series like App State at the last minute, um, old SoCon foes and rivals. Um, I remember uh, going to I guess it was either the '96 or '97 game when Eric Kresser was playing quarterback, and uh, mm-hmm. and he found he found Randy Moss and his green and white candy striped socks uh, <laughs> on about a 75 yard post route at Kid Brewer Stadium. Yeah. Uh, and, and silence the crowd there in Boone. But um, just talk about the job that, that Mike Hamrick did with the schedule. Yeah, you guys are right. I, I mean, we, we had talked about it with Mike. He thought, and I think he's right, it was probably Marshall's best home schedule ever. I mean, to get Pitt and Boise State in Huntington also have the trip to East Carolina. Uh, and also they were uh, going to play Ohio in, in non-conference action. So it was really set up to be a special year. And that's the shame of it because um, – uh, I, I even think they had a, a gathering, a, a setup with Bobby Bowden was going to come to town and do some things up here for the anniversary. At, at one point, uh, in fact, Bobby told me in Greenville the night before the GMAC Bowl, he, he was offered the Marshall job before the crash. If you guys think back and, and remember, uh, he was a coach at West Virginia University. He's in, portrayed in the movie. But he said, yeah, I was offered the job, but Marshall at that time wasn't, you know, their football program was struggling. So I didn't I didn't think that was the right fit for me. But um yeah, they had a great schedule all set up, and um, Mike had to go jump through some hoops. Appalachian State, obviously, they're a top 25 team last year. Uh, they have really uh, – I think of them, and I think of uh, Marshall, and, and you think of Boise, teams that have kind of risen up uh, past the level of FCS, and what back then was 1AA, and, and really made themselves something. And Appalachian State has done a great job with that, and they come in here, and that's going to be a tough game. So uh, to get them, East, Eastern Kentucky, who they played today, you know, they had to cobble together a schedule. Their league isn't even playing. And they've got an eight-game schedule, and they leave Huntington and then go to Morgantown next week and play West Virginia. So uh, kudos to Walt Wells, their coach, to, to get their schedule. 
And, you know, I think uh, you guys, all of us who cover and love football, I think I'm just glad to see it. And I think we're lucky every time you get to see a game. And I, I don't think we'll ever take it for granted now. So however many games the schedule brings out, um, I think it's a, it's a bonus and a benefit. We all should, we all should appreciate it. So. No question about it. And Keith, uh, how can people find your work? Obviously you're a legend there in Cunnington and your dad as well. How can people follow you? We obviously can't wait to meet you in person if it's in Greenville and or Huntington, but how can people follow you during the week or, or certainly see your work? Yeah, WSAC.com is our website. S-A-Z is in zoo, Sam Alpha Zoo.com, and we, we'll have our work on there. I, I hope to put that special maybe online, too, when it's finished. And um, just Twitter, it's at Keith Morehouse, K-E-I-T-H-M-O-R-E-H-O-U-S-E, and we'll, uh, we, we try to put a lot of our stuff out there, too. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of, of what, we, what we do up here at the station, and uh, it's, it's been a, you know, lifelong, really, um, my whole adult life really kind of covered Marshall and watching them come from where they, they were at the, the bottom, uh, the depths of, of, of a program that almost, you know, ceased existing to what they've done with, uh, and, and, you know, when I was doing TV games for Marshall, that I started the year um, Randy Moss uh, started at Marshall. You mentioned Eric Kresser, Bubba. Those two were together in 96, and then Chad Pennington took over in 97. And uh, they that, that run that I did for eight years on TV uh, was, you know, I don't know that I even appreciate it, but I, uh, the games that I did with Sonny Randall, old Sonny Randall used to play uh, in the NFL, was a fantastic wideout. Um, the games we did on TV, Marshall was 50 and four. And wow. I, I tell this story all the time. When my dad got here, Marshall was a basketball school. Danny D'Antoni, who they're now is their coach, uh, was a graduate assistant. His, his uh, brother, Mike, of course, coach of the Rockets, uh, they were they were Marshall basketball legends. And the football program was struggling. And so my dad did 17 games on the radio before Marshall won a football game. I did 18 games on TV before they lost one. That's that's the difference in the eras. The difference in the eras. So uh, it's not lost on all of us the, the program and, and how it's come from disaster to, to where it is now. So yeah, we, we definitely appreciate uh, the opportunity to cover it and to be around it for sure. And Keith, uh, before we let you go, also I, I told Bubba he's watched, I believe, but the, on YouTube that public uh, television special that was done about the crash is phenomenal. I had tears in my eyes. I've watched it at least three times several months ago, and it was uh, really touching. So I can't think of the actual title of it. Uh, Ashes, it's Ashes to Glory, is that what you're thinking? Yes, of? Ashes yeah. to Glory, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, they did a lot of work on that. And, and uh, you know, the people, the movie makers, when they came in, they they, uh, they wanted to make sure they told the story with, with reverence and dignity. And that's all we asked of them. Look, um, I, I remember talking to one of the producers saying, look, you make a good movie, that'd be great. You make a bad movie, you go back to Hollywood and we live here. So um, they, they were they were reverential with how they treated it and with dignity and, and told the story. And, and uh, I think we were all appreciative of how they, how they did that. Awesome stuff. Can't wait to meet you and look forward to having the green, but we'll take you around to some barbecue places uh, when you're here. I don't know if you like barbecue, but it's there's nothing like North Carolina barbecue for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a shout when I come down. I haven't set it up yet, but once I do, I'll, I'll definitely let you know. All right, Keith, thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. And uh, look forward to having a great college football season. Thanks for spending uh, some time with us. Enjoyed the visit. Thank you guys for having me. Take care of yourselves. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, another great guest coming up, Bubba. It's an action-packed show and uh, very excited to have this guy on, uh, author of a, a new book, and I uh, look forward to having him on. Right, Bubba? Yeah, this guy's a Greenville resident. Um, 
certainly follows the East Carolina program very closely, but his new book is about former East Carolina offensive coordinator and current Oklahoma head coach, Lincoln Riley. Uh, welcome into the show. Hey, hey, how y'all doing Steve. for having me? Absolutely. Very excited about the book. Uh, congratulations. Uh, I know it's uh, doing well and uh, people are talking about it. A lot of buzz about it. Certainly uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, man, we could talk uh, several hours about how, what the impact he had on East Carolina and certainly on, and, and the fact that uh, we were talking about this other night. He, was he 27 when he started um, at East Carolina's offensive coordinator uh, somewhere? I think, right? well, he might've been 26. 26. Okay. And I, I know he was there. About there looking like a ghost. I got to figure out my lighting in the office. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, I think 26 when he, when he first got started here. Yeah, it was, it's amazing. And he's had an unbelievable, I mean, you wrote a book about it. I could see your book becoming a movie. Um, yeah, thanks. Because it, yeah. It, it really, uh, yeah, because it's a really incredible story. If you think about where he was um, starting out, then he comes uh, at Texas Tech. He he comes here. He's so young, and I remember people talking. And I don't think it's a secret. I don't know if you you probably know this, Brandon, but I remember people going, "What in the world are we doing? Having an offensive coordinator, twenty six years old? That's crazy!" And look how. Ruffin McNeil was a lot smarter than people give him credit. All right, I lost my audio here. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? What's going on? You got me, Brandon. Brandon, if you can't hear us, try signing out and coming back in. Can't hear you guys. guys. No. How about now? Can you hear me? I'm going to hop out, hop back in. Okay, yeah. That's good. All right, we'll see if we can get him back. Some technical difficulties there. Brandon, see the offer, the author of Sooner, and we'll have him back sooner than later, right, Bubba? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought. Okay, here he is. Let's see if we can. Hey, can you hear us now? Yeah, yeah. Happened a couple of times earlier too. It was like like I'd been here for a minute, and then it would uh, just the audio would disappear. It was yeah. fine. I don't know what's going on, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, people when Lincoln first started here, they were definitely you know you know skill wondering what was going on, uh, who, who this young was, and, and uh, you know he won people over pretty quickly though. Um, you know, it's just just they ended up having just such an incredible uh, few years with him there and and man rough. And it was just, I mean, I was a student at ECU when when they first started here. It was just I remember it being so so much fun. Okay, Brandon, you kind of leading me into my my next question there. Uh, you're talking about being a student at ECU, so just tell folks briefly about your background and then how that idea to to write this book sooner about Lincoln Riley and his his uh, tremendous rise through the coaching ranks uh, came about. Yeah, well, I mean, Dave you said earlier it's kind of like a movie. That's what really made me want to write the book. I had written a story about him for Bleacher Report in 2017. First got named the head coach at OU and just had a lot of good extra stuff from that story uh, I left over and it even mentioned to him in passing at the time, you know, this, this could make a pretty good book. And, and he laughed because he felt like, he felt like he was too young and all that, which, 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 I mean, he's, he's, he is, he's, he's young to have a written about it, but, but it's just this, from him being like this, this kid just dreaming about being a, being a full player in West Texas to, I mean, just went through a whole, whole bunch of different stuff to end up where he is now. That's just what, that's what pushed me through through it. As I guess thought that would be be an incredible story, an inspiration story. Uh, just like what, what my favorite movies and, and some things like that. That um, you know, thankfully that's what I feel like it's turned turned into. Yeah, 
No question about yeah, it, I, uh, Brandon. I obviously, you. again, I don't know what's going going on. All right, you want to hop out and then come right back? I don't know if you can. Let me try. Right. Maybe we can hop out and then hop back on again. I can, I can, uh, I can hear you now. Maybe, maybe it was on mine. Like the headphones, I think kept. kept. Right, like, normally, uh, normally headphones help. I, I don't know. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, well, I can hear you now. So now are you okay. on, you're on your computer, I'm assuming? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. Typically, if we have any issues at all, it's on set on cell phones. So I don't know. But uh, uh, but anyway, sorry about that. I'm here. No, okay. no, no problem. Uh, obviously, we don't want to give, give the book away, but just, you know, touching on some of the topics of the book. Uh, Obviously, Lincoln being from Texas, uh, being a quarterback himself yeah. um, in, in the, the town of Muleshoe, Mule excuse me, so just talk, talk about uh, those early years and him going to walk on at Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, he grew up in Muleshoe, Texas, this tiny town of just a couple thousand people and, and West Texas, the middle of nowhere, about an hour outside, outside of Look. Um, you know, he was a quarter quarterback. He's a you know, you know, a big guy for a team. I mean, he knew to win um, as a as a quarterback. Back, he was really good. Had a professional professional throwing motion and all that. He smiled and cared about the game a lot. So he he was he was figuring out how to be at it. And, and you know, his sophomore year in a season scrimmage and throws an interception and gets mad about it. Chases a guy down, hits him hard as he can with his throwing shoulder. Um, being an impulsive you know teenager and dislocates his shoulder and uh, he's never ever able to throw the same after that. And, but he's still ends up being a pretty good high school quarterback leads the teams to state semifinals this year. And, and this is what they're doing in Lubbock uh, with Mike Leach and the air raid offense down there wants, wants to go see what that's all about, go be his quarterback. And so he walks onto the team and, um, you know, you know, he was, he was the right guy. He, he knew the offense worked uh, he, and, Something my each told me that me that stuff was he 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 didn't know just what what they were supposed to do to do he knew why they were supposed to just to do what they were supposed supposed to do and all that but he just didn't have the arm for it he, he could throw the ball where it needed to go to go needed to get there and so so Mike convinced him to you know get playing and then become basis assistant and, and become a co coach at 19 years old which is remarkable uh, and then you know it was off from there. Yeah that, yeah, that decision to uh, give up being a player is certainly one that could not have been easy for him on one hand because um, when you've done something as long as I'm sure he had and, you know, that, that was something that I wrestled with as well. Um, it's definitely not easy, but um, looking back on it, I'm sure he'll he'll be the first to tell you he made the right decision and uh, getting a jump start on his coaching career. Yeah, it's easy, easy to see it now, right? Um, but I mean, at the time, I mean, anybody who's played played sports has like a chance to be great at it, at it, and has um, you know, you know, a chance to to play the game. And you, and you think you can. And, you, and the worst part is when you know how to play the game, but your your body can't quite do it the level that you want it to. Um, for some guys, it happens when they're younger, but it happens happens to every athlete at some point, and it's always terrible. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he won this. Uh, like he, he spent a weekend like mulling it over. I mean, he went on went on this long drive, Lubbock, about six seven hours south to Horseshoe Bay, Texas, like in his, in his truck with a bay, just kind of thinking thinking it over. And um, his parents had a little a little vacation lot on the down there, Horseshoe, Horseshoe Bay. Took a boat out out, and, you know, just kind of spent the weekend coming to terms with it, talking to people on the on the phone. 
and all that. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he had to go through like a real, real grieving process there with it. But, um, you know, but, but, but by the end of driving back to, back to Lubbock, he knew he was like, all right, it's, you know, time to be, be coach. He said it was just basically, you know, about it's just deciding you have to go ahead and grow up at 19. Because, uh, I mean, especially think about it, like, like, it's not just not playing. It's also you go from being a player and a teammate to a coach. Uh, so that changes your, your social life in a big way as, as well. And so there's a lot, lot he had to work through there in a short, a short amount of time, for sure. Yeah, the, he grew up in a hurry like overnight. That's why I was mentioning it would yeah. great, make a great movie because of the fact that it's almost unbelievable. It's probably the surreal, the fact that he goes from playing and then he's a coach and then he goes to come to East Carolina. And I know that he got an offer. I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but he got an offer from Larry Fedora. Yeah. Um, to come to Carolina after we beat, we spanked them twice, but that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> um, I had to get that shot in, but anyway, then uh, then he goes to Oklahoma. I'm like, oh my goodness! I mean, you're going from um, Texas Tech as a player, you're going to East Carolina very young, and next thing you know, you're offensive coordinator of Oklahoma, and then uh, then he he moves into the head coaching role. It's just unbelievable to be one of the uh, brand new teams of college football in just a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's remarkable. And I mean, Lincoln, um, you know, he, he he talks a lot about the people who helped him get there. I mean, yeah, like he, he had to grow up at 19. I mean, he had to grow up several different time, times. It's been a whole process, which again, is, is very much like a movie. Um, and it's really inspirational the way he has to go, go through hard things, make mistakes, then learn how to correct, correct them and make it right and then grow and keep just kind of becoming who he was. But he also wouldn't been able to do all do all that without the types of people people that were around him, which is a, which is a huge part of the story too. I mean, starting with you know Mike Leach, I mean, in a way starting with this with his high school for coach and his parents just being who they were, and the small town people being who they were, and, and then Mike Leach, you know, and outside looks of a thinker, thinker enough to tell tell this nineteen year old to come be a coach, coach with him, and then just kind of seeing that worked, and then running Ruffin McNeil kind of taking him under his wing at Texas Tech back at the end, and then at East Carolina, and then. Yeah, also had uh, had um, a guy Duncan, you know, who who basically helped the Big Twelve and did all kinds of you know amazing things things in football. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but he he was really um, a big part of Lincoln and Ruffin McNeil's careers as well. Just always advising them on what jobs to take, what moves to make, and things like that. And you know, and then there's the the players he worked up to. I mean, Lincoln like he knows that he's a smart guy and he's been able to you know do some some. Unique things, things, but he's also deeply aware there that wouldn't be able to do it without the people around him that he's, he's had him all these years. Yeah, that relationship between uh, Ruffin McNeil and Lincoln Riley is one that um, I'm sure you may have very well because I've, I've not had a chance to dive too deeply into the ebook uh, that your publisher sent. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that relationship between them is one that you could have multiple chapters about for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, it's special, man. I mean, they're like brothers. Uh, I mean, Rummy, you know, was there with them. You know, as Mike Leach was getting, was getting for the Texas Tech, and they, they were having a favor right before that, for that bowl game. In State Lincoln, Lincoln's twenty-five years old at the time, basically becoming an offensive coordinator, going to a bowl game. You know, and Ruff and McNeil's kind of told him to do your thing. I mean, he believed him, and uh, and um, ended up winning the game. And, um, you know, and then Ruffin hires hires at East Carolina. I mean, as soon as Ruffin hired at East Carolina, he calls Lincoln, tells him, "Come on, come be his offensive coordinator here." And, uh, 
And um, I mean, and then in Greenville, I mean, Ruffin gave him a lot of leeway. I mean, the, the rumors around Greenville always, you know, Lincoln's real head coach and things like that. And I mean, Ruffin, that was kind of by design sometimes, uh, according to Ruffin. I mean, after him, a decent, decent bit for the kid. And um, knew what Lincoln's potential was and knew that, you know, he could do some special things. So he just wanted to give him the opportunity to work on that and feel for what it would be like to team and worked out pretty well for everybody, you know. Yeah, and you talk, yeah, about, you talk about some of the opportunities that Lincoln had. Um, I've heard you reference this in, in other interviews you've done with the media over the last several weeks. In, in terms of North Carolina, Notre Dame, and, and different chances yeah. he had. But uh, obviously he's turning down a lot of money and, and his sense of loyalty, Ruffin McNeil, and maybe also time and fit and play, yeah. all, all those things um, certainly factored in. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it did. I mean, so talking with Donnie, talking with Ruffin, and talking, you know, just kind of kind of looking at it. I mean, he liked it here in Green Green, too, you know. I mean, he, he liked what he was, what he was, what he was with, you know, the Pirate offense and – it was a great place for him to learn and grow. And I mean, they did some really special things here. And then, yeah, it's it just about finding the right situation. And I mean, yeah, Notre Dame came call, North Carolina came call. I mean, it, those aren't, aren't, you know, small phone calls, those aren't small offers that to turn down. And he turned them down for ECU, you know, turned them down for Robin. And as he's waiting for right, the right thing, I mean, you know, Oklahoma comes calling. That's a little tough to turn down, though. You know, that's, 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 you got that one if that, if that one comes. And, uh, but he did. And, you know, it's just, just, uh, I don't know. It's it's especially as time goes on. I mean, it's just just more cool that he was able to come through Greenville and do do what he did here uh, for for those five years. And and um, it, I just thing that all comes back to me me is just how fun it was. Was much fun I tried to have have with it. And yeah, yeah, it was just awesome. And the very fact that Brandon, with uh, obviously the fact that he, my understanding is uh, his dream job would be somewhere, which that's what came true. Um, to leave Greenville would be somewhere back close to the West yeah, West yeah. Texas and that part of the area. And when he got Oklahoma, I said, okay, it's crazy. He's so young to get the offensive coordinator job, but I understand why he left East Carolina to go to Oklahoma, not only from the stand, standpoint that it's a big-time program, but also the fact that it's right closer to home where he grew up, and it's the same thing with his wife. Yeah, I mean, they're both big time uh, about family. Um, I mean, Norman, Oklahoma is about the best close they're going to get when it comes to elite, elite college football program, the Mule, Mule Shoe Tex. Um, and you know, his wife's from, from Demet, Texas, so, which is about a, you know, 30 minutes or an hour from Mule Shoe. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it really was just the, per- the perfect situation. Uh, and I don't think would have left for, for anything less than, you know, almost a situation. And, and uh, I mean, he, yeah, like I got, and that's why like people are always like, well, when's he going to go to the NFL, NFL, things like that. I, I mean, you know what the future, future will hold, but, but it's, uh, you know, you know, and, and Oma, like that, this just is very, very, very Lincoln Riley. Um, I just, I think that he, he, he loves football and he loves his family. And that's a place we can do, do both, you know, to the best of his visibility. And, it's it's but it's why yeah yeah you're right it's wild how it worked out it's like it's almost like i hate to use the term the um perfect storm but it has been the perfect yeah. storm so far for lincoln rally i mean then i add on top of that bob stoops decided to retire when he got yeah. plenty of years left you would think and and all that i mean it's just it, it was like it's just and that's what i loved about the book and why i wanted to write right and he had 
just become a head coach at this young age, but there hadn't been as many like twists and turns and he, and he hadn't had to go and go through so much, so much. I don't know if it would in a book, you know, it was, he's not, he's not old enough to have biography or be written yet. He's as technically as his biography, but I just look at, look at it more like an origins and story. It's just, a, again, it's just, it's just a great intentional story. Um, it's about football and it's growing up as a human through, through football as much as it is about Lincoln Riley. Um, and, and yeah, but it is. It's, it, I love stuff like like that. You look like just how things things come together, and when it when it's when it's a situation where all these just these just really interesting coincidence happen, and it's it's just I don't know. That kind of stuff just gives just gives me chill. Like I just love it. Love it. How does uh, I was going to ask you how does Lincoln feel about the book? Have you talked to him? I have a conversation with him personally, um, but he addressed it in a, in a press conference. Uh, so the book came out came out, and he say he say uh, yeah, um, you know he, he feels funny about having a book book out on him at such a young age but he said he didn't have any problem with the book which is when we had a conversation about me writing the, the book last year last year i mean it was basically the same things you know no he said no problem with you or the, or the book or the direction or anything like that you know it sounds like it could be a positive thing he just he felt funny about being part of a book at such a young age and i talked talk to leach about that a good bit i mean he said you know it's so not that Link's superstitious, but Mike said like like you know he could see there being like superstitious aspect to, to like Mike, which was work, working on his book when he ended up he ended up getting from Texas Tech and like other coaches. You don't want to uh, you don't want to like look at, at how you've been able to do what you've been able to able to do because you're busy still trying trying to do more that that kind of thing. You don't want to jinx yourself almost by oh here's how I've done all this and then then like. I'm how I'll rob you of your 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 magic to, to keep the good stuff. So, yeah, that was that was funny. Mike is always he's 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 always a funny way of putting putting things. Um, but yeah, uh, but Lincoln, he he hasn't read it, but that doesn't seem to have any problem with it either. So I'll take that as a win. Um, you know, and hopefully other people read it and they just they stay time with it. That was really the goal. It's just write something that'll give people a good time. And if you learn some stuff along the way, great. But either way, way it's a nice escape from from life for a minute. Yeah, very envious of you, Brandon, getting to have those conversations with Mike Leach. I can only imagine how much fun that was. Uh, definitely enjoy any opportunity you get to, uh, to hear him speak to the media and uh, read, his, read, read his book. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a kid. He me like 3 in the morning. Hey, buddy, got time to talk? Like, well, if this is when you can talk, yes, sir. This is what we'll do it. <laughs> but, yeah, no, he's, he's always interesting, Mike Leach. One question I have for you is: uh, Do you have any plans to write any more books after after sooner? Yeah, yeah, I'm working on stuff. Nothing, nothing, nothing in stone yet. So keep keeping 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 all that close to the chest. Best, but uh, yeah, working on some things. Yeah, you keeping it close to your your chest there. Close now, to your this may have already been touched on. I don't recall it, so I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. But uh, approximately, how long did it take you to write the book? And then also, yeah, yeah. Uh, also. Um, as far as when you were in the process of writing the book, doing all this research, talking to people that had worked firsthand with Lincoln, uh, what's a thing or two that may have surprised you that you learned about Coach in the process? Yeah, uh, writing the book was actually a pretty dicey process because we basically we my agent and I like got the proposal for it in front of publishers in spring of uh, I guess last year, year twenty nineteen. And um, the publisher that we ended up going with, they uh, the deal was they wanted to head out by this football season, which meant to have it basically by the end of last year, which was for this book a really, really, really fast around. Um, <clears throat> I would have had at least another six, six months 
to get, to get it done. So that was pretty, pretty that was so stressful sometimes getting that done. Um, you know, you know, but it ended up great. Uh, uh, once we got the manuscript finished, I went out to New York and spent, you know, a few, a few days with the publisher, uh, um, or editor at the publisher, just kind of going through the book and picking per and then working on it more from there. And it ended up working out. Um, you know, it challenged me, stretched me a lot as a writer. And, and I feel like I learned a lot, I, um, through that, that, so that was, it was tough enough at the time, but I'm really glad I went, I went through it and then I used to go ahead and have to put the book out. Um, and then as far as what I learned that might've surprised me, I just, I think that, you know, it's one of the hardest things, things that for being a coach is like the, the family aspect, but I mean, and, and, you know, I talked with Mike Leach about this a lot. Lincoln's talked about this, I talked with him about it. Some, I was working on the article about in 2017 and it's like, even Baker Mayfield said something about like, you know, he always thought he'd want to be a coach and he's, he's done playing. But he realized like how hard it was the families and how much time it takes away from the families. And, so things seeing the in the ways they they have their families into their, their work lives and, and and things like that that and Lincoln you know he he does is get a job with that with that as can that was kind of the culture to you Bob Stoops didn't want want there to be like be like at your desk mentality uh, Lincoln you know you know he's always bringing his his wife and his girls and goes in for like you know, even if it's even if it's just a few minutes coming to the the office coming to the practice practices and do picnics and things like things like that he take together as a family whenever they can. He, he tries, not, tries not to live at the office the way, you know, a lot of college football coach do. You know, he, it's like you get your work done and in some weeks it takes a long time. And, and you know, there's always going to be some gaps in your family. But it's um, he, he tries not to let the the job, you know, be entire life, which goes back to kind of just having fun with it and, you know, remembering you're more than a football coach. Yeah, yeah, I think that's key to his success. He's more than a football coach and he, he tries to live that at. No doubt, and I uh, appreciate uh, certainly uh, what you coming on. And uh, how can people get the book? I can't wait to, to read the book. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I know it's going to be a great read, especially it's great thinking about college football and yeah. uh, opening weekend here is, is awesome. And to think about, uh, I have a special moment. I My daughter was up here uh, just a little bit ago making a cameo, but I'll never forget I was watching a game and Lincoln was coaching and I was watching Oklahoma one Saturday. And she looked at me. She said, "I love watching um, football with you, Daddy." And you know, there's it was a great moment. So uh, it reminded me of that. But certainly, it's great to have your your daughter that's uh, now six years old. She loves watching football with me. Yeah, that's nice, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, Amazon's got the book. Just just type in sooner uh, Brandon Sneed or sooner Lincoln Riley or however you want to do it. But Amazon, Barnes, Barnes, I mean, anywhere that's selling books, you should be able to get. Um, yeah. Yeah. Orientandsneed.com slash sooner has got links to different ways to do. And if you follow me on Twitter, I do like run giveaways. Some sometimes at Brandon Sneed on Twitter and maybe try to go nag you a free copy or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much anywhere you get your books, you should be able to find it. Brandon, speaking of a free copy, um, Listeners, mm-hmm. viewers, whenever you're checking this out, um, we will be providing some free copies for you. Brandon and his publisher are very nice to do so. Uh, so we will be uh, giving those away via social media and other, and other routes over the next few days. So stay tuned for that. And you can uh, you can right. own a copy of Sooner and check out this book about Lincoln Riley. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah, I'll get you one. This one is great. I just I really, really think it's a book. Just I mean, I mean, it's, it is. It's a, it's the story of Lincoln Riley, but it's just a good story. I mean, it's just some, something I could just be a good time for time for people. That was my goal with it. So let let y'all be the judge. But you know, so that's what that's what I'm going with. It. 
It's going to be awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate the time and good luck with the book. I know it's going to be a big success for you and I'm excited to see what you got coming out uh, next. And hopefully then we can have you back on. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Anytime, anytime. No doubt. Brandon Steen there, the offer of uh, Sooner. And now a guy that's been very patient with us, Bubba, a guy that we've had on for the last couple of years. Here he is back with us. Bubba, you're on mute. If you can hear me, you're on mute. Right. Yeah, can I hear? Can you hear me, guys? I got you, hey, Billy. Billy. Sorry, I, I muted myself. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm broadcasting from a ballpark, um, so they had the music cranked up this morning, so I forgot to take myself off mute. But uh, nonetheless, um, we appreciate you joining the show. Appre appreciate you being so flexible with us this morning. Uh, what I was saying is that I know the Mustangs are one of the teams in action today which is why we wanted to have you on. You're on your way down to San Marcos um, as the Mustangs are taking on Texas State. Uh, so uh, just talk about uh, this matchup and just everything the ponies have been dealing with in terms of COVID. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of surprising that we're here. It, it's still until uh, one of my friends texted me and said, I can't believe there's college football today. I said, hold on, let's wait until uh, toe meets leather. I don't know what we're going to you know, deal with maybe you know, somebody – tested positive or something like that and then it all goes you know awry but it, it looks like we're gonna have college football today between smu and texas state 3 30 on espn and for smu they've handled this pandemic probably as well as anyone in the country they've had very few positive cases they've had very few issues uh they have probably only had to take a pause once and that was around all the social uh justice and injustice uh conversations that were going on around the country and are going on around the country. But overall, I mean, they've been uh, really, really attentive to detail in terms of how they can bring these guys on campus to practice and prepare for a season. And they've just done a terrific job and uh, expectations are high. Everybody seems to know that with, with SMU this year after expectations are even higher with him running the show at quarterback. Uh, this is, could be the first game of what uh, could be a really special season for them. And, Billy, that's one of the things we talked about East Carolina and beyond is the very fact that um, how are we going to deal with, you know, with COVID-19 and how you can have uh, – I can't imagine what these coaches are going through uh, the country. I know you're uh, there with, um, with SMU and just what they're going through, the fact that you start a season. It's like having a whole bunch of – it seems like – a whole bunch of bye weeks, a whole bunch of uh, weeks off, uh, potentially. Hopefully that won't happen. And like you said, I thought that was really funny when you said that about, hey, wait a minute, we haven't gotten there yet. It's a good point. Uh, we still have uh, uh, some cases, a few hours for kickoff or some teams. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the thing about SMU, too, is they've just basically moved their whole operation outside. I mean, the, the, the concourse for the football stadium right now, uh, Gerald Ford Stadium is is their locker room. That's where they show up during the week for practice. That's where they show up uh, to change. They they show up already with their uh, their their shorts or their uh, you know girdles on and kind of their under under gear. And then they put on the pads and they put on the helmets and then they go practice. So it's pretty wild what SMU's done to just create as much space between players as possible uh, to limit exposure or potential exposure. Um, their, their contact tracing is unbelievable in terms of what they're doing with that. I mean, I was talking to a few of our subscribers on PonyStampede.com, and 
people were saying, well, you know, how they do, are they, is everybody good? And well, they, I did hear that they had all negative tests from the tests that they took on Friday before heading down to San Marcos, which is great, but there's still going to be a few players, probably each game that for whatever reason, get put into contact tracing and they have to quarantine for about 10 days. And so it's just one of the things that college teams are going to have to deal with around the country is the, is the chance that, okay, one of your players could have come into contact with someone. And if the school's doing it right, they're putting them into quarantine and keeping an eye on them and then testing and testing before clearing them to go back to practice. That's crazy. And that's one thing I wanted to ask about. I'm sorry, real quick with Bubba. I want to ask about contact tracing because I know East Carolina, Bubba, the, uh, the, um, certainly with the doctors we have with the Brody School of Medicine at ECU, uh, their invited medical center, um, those folks have been tremendous. But, you know, uh, one question I would have for you, Billy, is the very fact when you said they've been a, a good job of it, maybe like at ECU and SMU are doing a good job with uh, certainly with um, contact tracing and following the letter of the law, so to speak. But I'm wondering how many, like Kyle, our co-hosts, I'm wondering how many are actually following it to the letter of the law. Yeah, that's something we'll just have to see. I mean, I, I we saw SMU's uh, game against TCU next week already get canceled because of a huge COVID outbreak with the Frogs. And, I mean, it, it wasn't all contact tracing. It was you know, a ton of positive tests from what I've heard and been told. And uh, that's unfortunate. And and. I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy to uh, avoid this thing, but it takes a strong level of commitment to avoid it. And if your players aren't on board with it, it's going to be very difficult to run your college football season. Billy, diving into your archives there, you talked about plentystampede.com in preparation for this interview. We certainly didn't plan it this way in terms of uh, having you uh, right after Brandon Sneed, who just released his uh, book on Lincoln Riley sooner, as I'm sure you may have heard there before we brought you on. But um, Garrett Riley, um, Lincoln's younger brother, is the new offensive coordinator there in Dallas. And in that article that you put out um, late January or so, uh, you, you were just talking about how Garrett says that the offense is going to be simplified some. We know how explosive the ponies were a season ago. They have a veteran quarterback. Uh, so just talk about all the pieces and um, – exactly what that simplification is yeah i think it goes back to sunny dykes's roots in the air raid and i don't necessarily sit see them going full air raid this year but they are going to try to simplify things i think last year at times under rhett lashley's direction you know maybe things got a little complicated and it was difficult for them to develop a rhythm at times and i think sunny really wanted to simplify the offense and that's why he brought in Garrett Riley he wanted to bring in somebody who came from a similar background of just repping uh, plays and 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 building on the fundamentals and then adding a run game component to it which Garrett coming from App State where he got that one year of experience you know being there with that strong rushing attack they feel like they've added and upgraded in terms of their playbook and what they're going to be bringing to the table uh, offensively so it might not look too different but uh, those simplifications are more so in the the uh, background of the air raid in terms of uh, passing game concepts. and But like you mentioned, Shane Bouchelle's back. Uh, he's going to have one of the best seasons in college football. I mean, I would be shocked if he wasn't among the best passers in the country. And he's got 
tons of weapons. He's got Reggie Robertson, who uh, missed the last five games of the year last year, but he was one of three wide receivers when he went down with a foot injury to be averaging over 100 yards a game in college football, which is pretty unbelievable. And then they lose James Frochet, who's an all-time record-setting receiver at SMU, but they, in my opinion, and this is no disrespect to James, but they upgraded with a terrific athlete in Danny Gray and somebody who uh, is actually just a step faster probably than Reggie Robertson. And they think he's going to come in right away and catch hundred, a hundred balls and uh, you know, go over a thousand yards and be an instant impact guy. And then they have one of the best tight ends in the country and Kylan Granton who led the country in uh, receiving tight ends for a touchdown or for a uh, receiving touchdowns for a tight end. So, They've got pieces. They've got they've got guys in place, and they're just ready to roll. Yes, sir. Taking a look at this matchup, Billy. Um, you know, Jake Spavadol going into his second year there at Texas State. Uh, he's someone um, became a head coach in the 34, 35, going into his like I said, second season. Prior to that, he had been OC at A&M, going back to the Johnny Manziel years, I think, and then also West Virginia, among other places. So um, what are you you expecting with this ball game? The Ponies are a 21-point favorite, depending on where you look. Uh, So uh, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I think think like you you mentioned, uh, they're big favorites. They're heavy favorites. Last year, SMU uh, ended up pulling away in the second half. They won 48-17. I think both teams are better than they were a year ago, uh, quite frankly. And uh, I think you'll see that reflected. I think SMU is uh, certainly a team that with its veteran players on, on, on offense, especially, I don't think we're going to see the slow start we saw last year. Uh, they've been in fall camp a while. They've been repping things a while. And, and I think they're just ready to go play somebody else for sure. Uh, but in terms of the matchup overall, Texas State kind of went in and took a little – bit of a playbook approach uh, to what SMU did last year. They brought in quite a few transfers. They have a transfer starting at quarterback in Brady McBride, uh, who's a good player, good athlete. If you want a little tidbit on Brady, his dad, Joe McBride, is one of the well most well-known Texas high school football coaches, but his dad, Joe, played for Spike Dykes at Texas Tech when Sonny was growing up, so it really kind of all comes full, full circle in that respect, and Jake Spavital was Sonny's OC at Cal for a year, and they know each other very, very well. So I think both teams are, take a step forward uh, this year. I don't think it, that's today for Texas State. Uh, they're going to be uh, facing an SMU team that is really upgraded athletically uh, over the past year. Uh, they've tweaked their defense to reflect that as well. And um, I think I just think SMU is going to be able to really take care of business in this one. I'd be surprised if uh, this, this one is uh, – you know, in doubt for, for very long for SMU, quite frankly. And, and Billy, as far as uh, you're talking about SMU, but uh, the league is itself with, uh, with American, how do you feel about uh, things coming up in uh, for the season 2020 looks like that uh, a lot of improved teams coming back top to bottom, the league is uh, pretty stout. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one, I mean, East Carolina is going to be improved. I mean, you guys saw what they did to, SMU last year in Dallas and just, you know, wasn't, didn't come out on top, but what a game. Uh, and I think they're going to be better uh, as well. Uh, but in terms of like the top part of the league, I would say, I would think it's SMU, Memphis, and Cincinnati that are probably going to be uh, in that mix. Uh, 
you know, for that conference championship game appearance. I'm not necessarily sold on UCF uh, being the cream of the crop or the conference favorite in the preseason, which I'm just a little surprised about. Um, quite honestly, I, I think Memphis, uh, while they have a new coaching staff, they've still got Brady White and Kenny Gainwell uh, opting out. It was a big loss for them. I'm interested to see how that impacts them uh, besides just kind of the obvious, you know, him being a great football player. Uh, but Cincinnati is a very, very good team. I think UCF's a good team. I'm not necessarily sure uh, they should be the favorite going into the year. And then with SMU, I think just all the veteran talent they have, uh, they lost. Their two losses in conference last year were just by a touchdown each on the road. Uh, and, I mean, without Reggie Robertson in either one of those games uh, as well. So uh, SMU special teams are a lot better than, than last year as well. Uh, they upgraded with a graduate transfer kicker that uh, just get to watch practice a few times uh it, uh, it couldn't go much worse than it did for SME last year, but he should be a serious upgrade uh, at the position. So I, I'm looking at those three teams at the top. I think I don't think Houston's ready to take the next step uh, forward. Um, I, I could see Tulane taking a step forward. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the usual suspects like Navy will be right there as well. Yeah, you bring up Houston. Um, we, we love having Sam Raz from, from, the, from the podcast on. Um, so – the Scott and Holman podcast, I should say, but um, when we've had him on, um, or we will have him on here in the near future, I feel certain. And when we do, uh, it's going to be interesting to get his take and see how Cougar fans are. Um, Dana Holgerson making an awful lot of money, what, four, four and a half million dollars. will be interesting to see uh, if, if the Cougars don't take that step forward, like, like you're saying, uh, how patient uh, folks are there, um, there in Houston. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I, I think Gabe for uh, or excuse me, uh, Tillman Fertitta uh, said believe that they fire Ninewood coaches over there in Houston, and uh, I know last year was kind of like a uh, it's almost like a tank year, even though you don't get a draft pick. I guess they you know with Derek King op- opting out uh, and that or not opting out, but redshirting, and uh, that didn't necessarily go as they planned, um, which. I was kind of surprised that was the route they took, uh, thinking that he'd come back. But uh, this year is kind of, I think, the year that after all of that, you know, I think Dana really thinks they can compete. I'm just not so sure that they're going to be able to with this league. I mean, it's a tough, tough league. Uh, and, and you know, you saw it early in the summer, I think, with, with the shutdown for them. Uh, they're not necessarily a program right now that is – uh, incredibly disciplined and, and well-run. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that culture develops over the next couple of years. Uh, Houston does a pretty good job of getting talent in there. So it's not always the case of, okay, they're just falling off talent-wise. But uh, just overall, it's, it's a difficult uh, position that Dana's in after last year. And uh, he's being asked to produce. And uh, I'm just not so sure they're ready to do that. No question about it, Billy. You know, that's the very fact. I was uh, talking about a situation with a friend of mine about, uh, years ago about a person being married to his job. And I said, well, it's kind of like A-Rod. The reason uh, when A-Rod was still playing, I said, uh, the Yankees gave him a lot of money. And because they gave him a lot of money, the expectations are extremely high. And the same thing with Dana. I mean, I know Sam and them, they feel like uh, they're in Houston that – they're a power program, unfortunately, in G5. And so they're trying to upgrade facilities and get these great coaches in and bring in Dana back. But the, the price tag was a lot. 
And so if you get what four, four and a half million a year, you better be winning double digit games a season. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the expectation for a Luke fickle. That's, uh, you know, probably the expectations at UCF and Memphis and, you know, Sonny Dykes is turning that into that at SMU, but uh, outside of fickle now with his new contract, I mean, none of those guys are making what uh, close to what Dana's making. So yeah, I, expectations for him are through the roof and, and for good reason. And certainly with, uh, with the league looking uh, at East Carolina, Billy, everybody says we're a year away. We're a year away. It's such a cliche in uh, college sports and sports in general. But if you look at the talent and you look at the recruiting, I know you're recruiting um, expert, obviously, for SMU. But when you look at the talent that's coming in and what we already had and then with the coaching staff, with uh, the tr- success, Mike Houston, these guys are um, next year will be seniors and juniors. One of the youngest teams last year. And next year, they're going to be one of the oldest teams. They have the talent. They just didn't have the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Mike Houston's program showed a lot when they came to Dallas and gave SMU everything it could handle. Uh, that That's the type of program he runs. That's uh, that's just, I mean, how it is. And and he's a really, really good coach who's uh, got the ball rolling down the hill in, in a positive uh, uh, direction for them. And it's starting to pick up speed, and you can see that. And, like you mentioned, they're going to be a veteran bunch here, uh, much more so than last year and, and especially the year after. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a reflection on the program he runs and how he's got it going. Earlier, Billy, you talked about um, the scheduling adjustment for next week and with uh, the battle for the iron skillet being at least temporarily uh, postponed. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see the exact wording on that. Uh, and correct me if that was a cancellation. But uh, talk about the schedule as a whole. Uh, what other adjustments have there been, if any? Yeah, SMU moved their their game against SFA to the 26th of September to allow that rescheduling of the TCU game that was originally postponed or canceled. And now it looks like SMU is probably going to have an open date next week uh, rather than uh, going over to Fort Worth. And uh, But overall, the SMU schedule is intact. They'll play North Texas, and then they'll get into uh, conference play. Billy, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Um, re- really appreciate you being flexible with us as we um, dealt with some different things in terms of uh, technical issues and so forth. But uh, enjoyed having you on the show, and I uh, would definitely love to have you back on later on in the football season. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll do it again soon for sure. All right, Billy, take care. Drive safe, keep it between the lines, and we'll see you again soon. All right, that's Billy. All right, Billy and Body there, and uh, inside the slant, uh, I, I tell you what, Bubba, what a great show! Uh, you did a marvelous job. I know that it's uh, like speaking of herding cats, we had obviously guests and trying to work around technical difficulties, but you know that's what's great about. Uh, I never forget. This makes me think. I'll tell a quick story, but in 1996, when I started out in broadcasting. I'll never forget my first season. I had no clue about what, you know, how you, uh, you're such an ECU guy. And, you you know, being that I graduated there, I was so excited about covering the Pirates. Don't forget to visit our concession stand as you can get hamburgers, hot dogs, or chicken tenders, and our labor. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it really fast to let you talk, but uh, just nod whenever he's done talking. But uh, anyway, so um, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I was a, um, just a story I was going to tell real fast about how you get excited about the college football season like we're doing this. You're covering the Pirates. You're a year out of uh, a school, basically, so it's such a dream job to be doing that. And we literally started at 6 o'clock in the morning um, getting ready, you know, for the first show. And uh, I had to, you know, obviously take a shower. You drive really fast, get Jeff Charles on the air. Then you break everything down. You take everything to Fort Game Day right there outside of Dowdy Ficklin Stadium and the parking lot. And they had, you know, the big – there was a big deck right there near the that uh, famous tailgate field behind the stadium. And we set that up, broke everything down, watched the game. Then the fourth quarter, um, about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter every game, I still get kind of an urge because that's when I used to have to leave to go to the tailgate show, run up to the press box, get the equipment, and then run, go do the interviews, bring it back up to the press box, uh, the double wide in the sky. And then I was actually DJing downtown at a place called the Sports Objective. So my game days were from 6 a.m. sports uh, pad, 6 a.m. to 3 a.m. was basically, it was almost a 24-hour period I was up on a Saturday. Yeah, I can only imagine, uh, you know, how you, you guys were running on fumes doing those shows back in the day. Uh, you know, just taking a look around, uh, looking at today's schedule, uh, we, we obviously talked about several of the games that are taking place. Marshall and Eastern Kentucky at 1 o'clock. Um, uh, now, who would have thought um, that, that this game w would be taking place in the first place, much less at 1 o'clock on ESPN? And that's no offense to, uh, to Marshall or Eastern Kentucky, um, but this is it's just a crazy world that we're living in right now. So, that will be going on at 1 o'clock um, on ESPN, like I mentioned, um, up in Huntington at Edwards Stadium. Army in Middle Tennessee at 1.30. And then um, and that one, of course, is, is up in up in uh, West Point, uh, SMU in Texas State at 4.30. Uh, North Texas and Houston Baptist at 7.30. And then tonight you have another AAC team in action, Memphis taking on Arkansas State at 8 o'clock. And then UTEP taking on Stephen F. Austin at 9 o'clock. So you have uh, six games today and then that BYU-Navy game on Monday night. Going to be fantastic. So happy to be a part of college football season for the 2020 year. And the season is so great to finally be here. And maybe the Pirates, the first game, obviously the folks watching this uh, broadcast will know will be September 26, UCF. No fans, unfortunately. We hope that by October things will uh, – the next update, I think, that with Governor Cooper will be October the 2nd, somewhere around there. So uh, for Phase 2.5, we'll see how that turns out. We're praying that uh, fans will – in October. I know that sometime it may be November uh, before we have fans is what I'm guessing. I don't know anything, so don't quote me on that, but that's my guess. If I had a guess, it would be sometime in November before we can have fans in the stands of certainly – uh, more of a respectable crowd, maybe like the 20-25% mark that Bubba's talked so much about. And uh, we love uh, having you guys on. Don't forget to watch all our content. We have a lot of stuff up there, 50 Pirates in 50 Days. We have, obviously, on Facebook Live and uh, archived on Facebook, I should say, and YouTube. And then, of course, we have uh, th those 50 Pirates in 50 Days we have on SoundCloud and Anchor. And uh, all our broadcasts are, that we do, are, uh, pot, we put out as podcasts. We've been doing it for two and a half years now, officially, Bubba. Thanks to you, sir. Uh, but we actually have those on pretty much everywhere you can listen to your favorite podcasts. And I want to remind folks, by the way, Bubba, 
Uh, something we don't do all the time before we get out of here to like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Richmond David. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, at the sports OBJ. Can you say hi? She wants to have her own show. So she's watching her dad right now. Uh, do that. That say, what's your name? Mackenzie. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for being a part of the broadcast today. And my daughter Mackenzie for making a few cameos. Appreciate her very much. And all our great guests, Bubba, thank you so much for, uh, putting the show together was awesome, and we look forward to be back again real soon. All yeah. right. No doubt, Dave. I um, appreciate everyone tuning in, and uh, hopefully we'll have a great day of college football and look forward to just who would have thought we would be excited about having six games on the schedule, but that's the case, and I'm ready to watch some football. All right, guys. Until next time, you've been watching and listening to The Sports Objective. Go Pirates! Thank <laughs> you.